Logocentrifugal Podcast. I'm Chance Lunsford. I'm also Logocentrifugal. Maybe you're Logocentrifugal. While you're trying to figure that out, let me introduce today's special guest. I have with me today Jean-Jacques Tehran. Now, this is a man who I initially encountered on Twitter through, I think, probably gathering together with James Dowling. And one of the things I immediately noticed is that there's no hesitation in you to take, and we kind of talked about this before we started recording, but you, right from the get-go, right from when I met you, there was no hesitation in you to take a stance counter to somebody else's opinion, and, and not in a hostile way or anything, just I don't think that's right, and here's why, and here's my opinion on the matter, or here's, here's a refinement of what I see you saying, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, and I, I really appreciated that about you. Even if I have a disagreement with you or you have a disagreement with me, it's nice to be able to uh, know that I can just expect you to tell me what you really think rather than pandering to me for whatever reason. And I think part of that has to do with maybe you're just, uh, you know, you're more mature. You're not 18 or 22 or something. And, and, and I think a lot of it also has to do with one of the reasons that you wanted to be here, which is to talk about, uh, you know, the value and, and the sort of experience of being a weird dude, which I can definitely identify and which my listeners know full well that I uh, can identify with. So I think with that, um, I'll just kick it over to you, Jean-Jacques, and let you fill in the gaps about who you are and what you do and, uh, and why you're here. So thank you very much for being here. I appreciate it. And uh, let her rip, buddy. Great stuff. Thank you, Chance. It's, it's wonderful to be here with you. Um, it's great to actually connect with you in, in this way, I've I've been a, a fan, entertained by your antics for for a while, um, and it's it, it's nice to be able to connect with uh, with those who you appreciate. So thank you. Um, our our stated goal here today is exploring the value of weirdness. Um, and so what, what we get from it, um, I, I wanted to t talk to you about this because I, I see, I, I see, I see your enjoyment and almost revelry in, in, in the weird and the peculiar in, in the, the, the edge conditions. And it's, it's just something that I've, that I appreciate personally in, in, in my life. And I, and I wanted to connect with you on it. Um, so yeah, no, the, thank you. <laughs> um, I think it, uh, one of the ways to just get in here um, is obviously, I mean, they're uh, just posing something. There, if, if there are two ways to, to kind of um, get a girlfriend, there's the one would be the Brad Pitt look. The other would be the Shrek look, um, quite simply because um, once you get noticed, you, you can capture attention and I mean, they call it peacocking or various other things. And, um, but getting noticed and standing out, um, weirdness obviously helps with that a bit um, because, I mean, you, you're kind of getting into um, almost lighting up the threat center of, of people's minds by, by being different. And it's, it's one of the things I've 
I've seen and appreciated with you that there's you're you're willing to risk a certain amount of kind of social outsiderdom, if you will, um, in order to get other people to think, um, and partly to explore or express yourself, but also just for the sheer fun of it by the looks of things. Um, That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but then along with that, you, there's also, okay. So on the one hand being weird gets you noticed. Great. Um, uh, but on the other hand, there's a certain amount of um, kind of claiming your freedom and, and kind of in a sense, seeing seeing if not being different as just as a, as a way of capturing attention but as a as a kind of personal responsibility not to as an attention seeking habit but as an as a responsibility to 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 be true to your demon as socrates would have put it um so that when whatever it is that makes you manifest as yourself diverges from what your your context seems to be um, demanding from you, that you you go with you, you go with your inner demon, so to speak. You go you, you you go with you rather than what what people expect of you. And sometimes that obviously puts you at, at, at odds with people. It's easy to offend people. It's easy to um, to come across as as not caring, uncivilized, or um, no, maybe that's the wrong. But just that you you come from a place of of authenticity, um, where where rather where other people might expect you to to conform rather. Um, um, okay, so an example of, of, of that would would kind of be, uh, I'm just talking about the concept now, so now further. Um, in, in Jung's Undiscovered Self, there he explores, he's, he's talking about um, society after the Cold War. And he mentions that in global culture today, we are, this is back then, we are excessively vulnerable to what he calls uh, social diseases. Um, and in this thing, thank you. <laughs> um, and these, these social diseases would be things like, um, call it Satanism, nihilism, um, what, what, he, what he sees as, as a social disease. I don't think that Satanists is necessarily a disease, but what he is trying to say is that there are um, ideologies or trains of thought that that weaken societies and people kind of in a way because of the, their, their nihilistic tendencies, um, they kind of inoculate people against meaning. Um, and in a sense, I think we're seeing a lot of that resurface today. Um, and his comment was that the things that protect a society from these social diseases are not the society's ability to stick together. 
So it's not our ability to agree on table manners or etiquette or um, that we'll decide that we're all, we're all going to agree no matter what, but our ability to be weird, so to speak, um, but be in, and therefore be individuals, be strong individuals who are happy to um, stand up and be different and own the own our consciences when we feel them diverging. Um, so I guess in that sense, the value of being weird is is being able to stand up and say, I'm not like them hmm. in a way that gives you permission to be an individual rather than just a just a, a stitch in the social fabric, so to speak. Mm. You know, there's there's a lot of thoughts I have surrounding what you just talked about. Um, number one, um, there is a you know, speaking as as one of the weird dudes, I mean, I've I often say to people, I'm the weird dude in every group because um, sort of, you know, I, I have a contrarian bent to my nature in general. And then I, I, I often don't, I don't think something just because somebody else thinks it. I like to, I like to go through the process and, and figure it out myself. And that hasn't always been to my benefit. You know, I've, I've like, Oh, heroin's not awesome. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like, really? uh, but also, you know, mushrooms aren't awesome. Well, we'll see about that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, allegedly, but the thing, yeah. you know, to kind of maybe skip over your, your wonderful compliments of me and, and get into the union stuff. Um, there's, there is a, there is a danger too in, let's call it the left-handed path because there's a reason that society has these, these norms and these standards set up. And that's because mm-hmm. m- most of the things that are in that collection would behoove you to behave that way because it's a survival mechanism. But the thing that happens when a society becomes, let's, let's call it more abundant than survival only when begins to be uh, more time for, for creative endeavors or for options beyond just survive then a lot of the societal behaviors are no longer geared solely towards survival, but they are viewed that way by most of the members of society because it's comfortable and is what they know and their fathers and their mothers and their, and everybody around them tends to exhibit mm-hmm. behaviors. And like, let's use the heroin example. Heroin will kill you. I mean, it's not going to kill you the first time usually and it might take a while but if you continue down that path you'll die and you'll die decades earlier than you otherwise would have um but like making a weird face or singing at inappropriate times those are not deadly behaviors but the initial visceral reaction uh oh there's a weird thing that might be a threat and that fight or flight response it, it occurs as yeah. though it was the same thing it's you know like a dude singing um, as he's walking through the grocery store at the top of his lungs, causes the same reaction as a tiger 
popping out of the out of the jungle and you you know you're forced to sort of deal with that and some people are very uncomfortable dealing with that especially in a comfortable world and it causes maybe a distaste or or a distancing between you and the person who isn't prone to those kind of behaviors so that's one and then <clears throat> beyond that when you do have a tendency to let's say be an independent thinker you and you've distanced yourself from a lot of people then your feedback mechanism can be suboptimal because if you only have a small collection of people and and maybe they're counterculture people and maybe they're counterculture people because they're just trying to throw a big bird to society or what they might be bitter or they might just be knuckleheads i mean i found that true almost almost always um Mm -hmm well then your feedback mechanism is going to encourage these destructive behaviors and you're going to have to you're going to have to have some sort of painful realization that there like maybe you should be doing some of these things that everybody does but you should just be skeptical about the reasons why and and be methodical in in choosing um mm-hmm. but i do think also society isn't stagnant and and as technology yeah. practices um change and and evolve over time even things that were geared towards survival in a previous time are no longer relevant. And it does take a strong individual to be able to stand up and say, well, I don't think that's right. And here's why I don't think that's right. Mm-hmm. I'm doing, and it's working way better. And at first yeah. people will be like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think so. But over time and as more adopters come on, Oh, well, this is the new norm and it, and it shifts culture. And so I guess after, mm-hmm. after Ramadan sort of, there for a minute i i'll kick it back to you with just a sort of a query as to where you where you might um draw the line between the usefulness of of a person like that versus the the inherent risks to that person and also to the society around them if they go too deep i mean how do you sort of parse that out when you're thinking about it yes um i think i can summarize your your problem um, the, or the one that you're pointing to is it's kind of like creativity versus communication. Because in a sense, um, the more creative you are, the harder it is to communicate basic, just uh, basically because you've, you'd be saying something new, something that hasn't been said before in ways that it hasn't been said before. Um, in ways that, are different and new so to speak so creative um in order to communicate you have to use channels ideas thoughts words that are conventional because then you can communicate more conventionally people understand you more so in a sense you you've kind of got this dichotomy between how creative are you going to be and how effectively are you going to communicate it Hmm. so on the so on the on the on the on the one pole you've got something or someone who's, who's so creative they they make up new words with, in every sentence um, and, and you're not going to be that effective at communicating someone else who only uses standard maximum three syllable words um, and they're they're going to have a they're, they're going to communicate effectively um, but it's they're not going to come across as, as necessarily creative um so i th- that's that's kind of how what what i'm getting from from 
from what you're saying that yeah sure certain people can be very creative but in that indulgence sometimes it's easy to be harder to communicate with them and in being harder to communicate with it does compromise their value to a society because they're they're just so out there that <laughs> uh, you, you, you can't get to them um what you pointed towards about um that that, that kind of individual society relationship where you've got people who who are outside who, who don't necessarily um like, like for example i i right now in my life one of the things that i'm going through is a kind of rediscovery of the value of respect um when when i was my my first degree <laughs> um i i studied fine art um and it was a interesting it was a beautiful experience i was with interesting uh lecturers but basically coming out of that experience um it was kind of uh we were kind of taught that as an artist your your value to society is in standing outside it in a way and reflecting what it is back into it um so in that sense it's it's almost saying listen it's your job to be slightly weird it's your job to stand slightly outside society and and show them what they're doing wrong in a sense um and given that as a as a framing respect is was not something that was actually cultivated i mean the we had like pretty high critical environments where you you it, it's i suppose you could say that one of the deepest compliments you could be given was someone being very critical of your stuff um partly because it says that you're worth criticizing what you are doing wrong and i'm telling you you're doing wrong is not what i see you remaining i see you as being able to transcend this i see you as being able to move beyond um the crap that i think that you're currently producing <laughs> um which which can be difficult to take but at the same time um it's it's the only way to get better which i think is also what you were pointing towards when you you said that um like certain people that just attached to being different and weird as and you can't communicate with them you can't get respect from them um and by not fitting they that they're they're instead of being able to stand on the outside look in and come in with insightful valuable comments and useful comments they're on the outside being awkward pieces that just don't fit mm. and there's a difference between a kind of useless disconnection and insightful attention back on something that you're not currently attached to so and that's yeah mm-hmm. yeah i um you know i think that's a that's a balance that i had to learn to strike in my own life as well on on the one hand you know i was very bright in a lot of ways as a child um 
I like to call myself smart tarted because on a certain <laughs> on a number of, of metrics, I'm as, as smart as they come. And then on a certain number of yes. metrics, I'm quite literally developmentally retarded. And so it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to experience. You know, it's yes. like, well, I can intuit this stuff and I can, I can see the truth of these matters just in like a flash in a certain regard. And then over here, it's like, well, uh, I'm sorry, but I don't really speak emotions. And when you try to speak emotions, it's confusing to me and I have to try to, you know, now I have these metrics and these things that I've paid attention to for long enough that I can kind of run mm-hmm. it through a translation program, so to speak. But especially initially, I really, it was very confusing. And my initial response to that was to, to just essentially say, fuck you. Um, and that's crass and everything, but it doesn't nothing really substitutes that. That's how I, that's how I felt. And I lived and, um, and I turned that, I turned that towards myself and I turned that towards the church that I grew up in and the culture I grew up in and society at large and just everything I wanted, mm. I wanted it all down. Cause I didn't feel like I fit. And I, you know, it's like, well, what is it about me that is so, you know, undeserving of being able to connect with these people in the same way that they seem to be able to do. And, you know, I didn't even learn until my mid twenties, um, about the autism end of my personality. And, and then when I learned that, it was just like, click, 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 click. Oh, I suddenly understand all these things about myself and so many things make sense. And I'm so grateful to have made that realization. But along the way, there were a lot of things I did that were very destructive. And, um, you know, those are chains that will be attached to my back forever. And luckily I've made myself strong enough in a lot of ways that I can pull them. And I'm, and I'm out here trying to do things of service. And, and like you talked about yeah. the the respect angle a good critic like you talked about points out the flaws in the program or the art or the behavior out mm-hmm. of love it's a it's yes. an act of kindness because you're saying look if you continue down this road and you continue to exhibit this or exhibit this behavior mm-hmm. or, or this tendency it's going to hold you back from your potential at least and it might destroy you or the people around you and if you can face it and admit to it and correct, mm-hmm. then you will be better for it. And so will everybody around you. And then that kind of thing yeah. spread. And that's something that I really had to, and I, I mean, to be honest, I still struggle with it. I'm a lot better at it, but sometimes I, st- I still just want to, you know, kick them in the face and instead of just like, <laughs> <laughs> and well, I mean, is, isn't that probably the, the moment where, where it starts? I mean, that, that moment, I mean, you, you said, um, I want to say fuck you to society or the culture or whatever, that in the sense that you, you've got this kind of inner, if not disconnect, then, then pain where you're connecting to the people, social structures around you. Um, and I mean, we've, we've spoken about it bef- before we started recording as I think rather than the, the fuck you moment, it, it's also the I'm not like them moment. And that's the moment where, in a sense, you, you, you can begin to function as an individual where you can look at a society and not be as attached to it. You, like, you can step, step aside and like, I, I see what they're doing but that's not me. Um, and I guess I think from, I don't think you can be an individual 
until you've had some experience of that. Um, I mean, for me, I think it came partly because of learning disabilities where like I'd realized that everyone else had, had, was one particular way and, and I, I wasn't. And then also in the way that we're thinking with groups, you know, I, like you, you can tell, well, you're different. I, I, I love your, your use of the word smart tarded. <laughs> um, I, I, I really appreciate that. I, I think it's, I, I can totally imagine you being exactly like that, where <laughs> uh, <laughs> in certain metrics, uh, exceptional. In other metrics, not so exceptional. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, mm. Yeah. Well, let, me, I, let, me, yeah. Let, me, let me frame this. There's... Mm. There's a role I have recently found myself in, and it's essentially basically since I joined social media, and it's really starting to have a, a strong impact on my behavior in general. And, and one of the things I realized is I have a deep and abiding and broad fascination. I'm constantly fascinated and interesting in everything going on around me, and the patterns and the behaviors and the, and the mm -hmm. things leading and. So I have this ability to connect with people on these bits of my fascination and to be genuinely curious about what they have to say about it. If they're a representative of this certain metric or this certain aspect, I want to grill them about it to, so I can integrate and, and you know, like satisfy my fascination. And what I very quickly realized is yes. that, that same tendency is a very powerful uh, network builder. And I, I described this to a group of my podcast group, which will will get you in there um, if you're interested, but yes, I, look, I I said the same thing to them that I said to you. I'm the weird guy in every group, and but I'm I'm not like so far outside that I can't see what you're doing, and I can't like stick a finger in your bubble to see kind of like what the air is like in there. And if I put a hand in your bubble and I put a hand in your bubble, suddenly I'm a thread that's connecting two nodes, and I can translate mm -hmm. both of you where you might not be able to because I can. Yes. You know, so I'm kind of like just sailing between these bubbles or these echo chambers. Like I'm knocking on the door. Hello, hello, hello. And who comes to answer the door? Well, you're the representative yeah. of the bubble or your echo chamber. And I'm going to learn what you have to offer. And then maybe because you came to the door, you might see that there's more out there than just the shit you've been used to rambling on about. And, and so I just, uh, I know you were ready to transition, but I wanted to kind of throw that out there because even though that's a natural tendency that I have, I have found it to be very powerful and it's not something that's exclusive to a person like me. You know, other people can, if they're just a little bit willing to step outside of their frame and say, well, what if I'm yes. wrong? What, what does this person have to offer? And then, Hey, you said this thing, this person said this thing over here and you two can connect on this thing. I've done that countless times and it's amazing. Oh man, you're into logistics. <laughs> I'm into logistics. And he's into logistics. Let's talk about logistics. And they might not connect on any other level besides I like to watch how things travel across the globe and to improve efficiency in that thing. This I'm, I'm saying that specifically to my friend Huntsman because there was some things that happened there. But the point is, that's a valuable skill that I didn't even realize I had until I kind of stepped out into the world. And uh, it's just uh, something for people to think about. And, and with that, you know, go ahead and, and pop in with, you know, wherever you want to transition to sure yeah um i haven't been into logistics yet uh, 
No, but I, I'd, I'd be, I, I can totally imagining you functioning as, as that, as that networker. And yeah, you definitely have that ability. Um, back to, back to being weird. Um, okay. I just want to, there's a couple of things I'll, for value. Okay, we said value of being weird. There's, there's basically three different things that make something valuable. Uh, scarcity, usefulness, and appreciation. If you've got those three things, the more of all three of them you have, the more valuable you, you make something. Um, with weirdness, it's it, by definition, it's scarce because it's not normal. Um, and that's what makes people, that's what captures attention. That's what, 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 what makes it stand out. Um, so in terms of usefulness, uh, I like the question you asked earlier when, so like what makes it useful, but yes, it's, it's got that ability where you can, you can stand. It gives, there's a different perspective that makes it useful. Um, it's difficult to appreciate sometimes, but so long as we you can we can generate that um, kind of goodwill, not 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 come at it, at it with too much disrespect or or too much of your fuck you moment, <laughs> and, and and actually communicate properly, then I think then I think that that's. I think that for the most part, that that's a pretty good answer to to the question: What is the value of of weirdness? And I think so. I think we've we've explored that question enough to say that yeah, I've, I've connected with you on it. So I think my what I wanted to achieve there is uh, has been achieved. So I like that. I, I, I don't think we need to to dig too much deeper in it unless there's a there's another chance bubble that, that needs to be poked into that you, that you see floating by um but to to possibly blow one quickly at you um i think part of the risk of it um is where societies always choose the marketable over truth it's just because on the one, you've got something which is easy to say, easy to sell, um, articulate, promote, measure, evaluate, own. And on the other side, you've got this enigma of a profound experience that by nature does not make sense. <laughs> um, and in that sense, you've got your fools, sages, um, kind of on artists, witch doctors, whatever, um, on that, on that side with, yeah, on the, on the side of, of truth, so to speak, as opposed to the side of, of what's marketable. Um, I, having followed you for a while, it, it seems like you, you've got quite a, I mean, you're definitely a seeker of truth. Um, so I'd like to ask you, how do you how do you identify truth what do you what what do you notice about it how do you know that you found it when you do hmm. you know my answer 
there's a few answers to that. One of the things I'm not I'm not sure how useful this information is going to be to maybe a not weirdo, but my tendency in life has been to notice opposing ideas and to I describe it as smashing them together and whatever remains standing is something closer to the truth. And so you, you incorporate that. I'd like to, I'd like to piss my wife off by telling her I'm right until you can show me that I'm wrong. And, and I'm, and I mean that sincerely, not, not necessarily like it, it, it does have, see, that's the thing, mm-hmm. you know, gestures and tricksters. I, I probably would identify with the word gesture more than trickster because I like to tell people the gesture always loses his head, but they always find another gesture because there's, there's a need for someone to say, are you sure? Because from, mm-hmm. from my point, you look like an idiot. And I can't really say exactly that you look like an idiot, but I'm going to make a joke at your expense. And inside of that joke um, is the recognition that there's a fault here. And I'm trying to maybe ease the pain of just coming right out and saying you're wrong because that never works unless you're a very particular kind of person. But if I can say, Hey, you know, you're just kind of, you're wrong and, and ha ha. And then you go, Oh, ha ha ha. It snuck down my head. And now I have to actually consider this thought because I, my guard wasn't up in time to stop it from entering my cognitive processes. And I think from my vantage point, you, you know, you sort of start with some programming, genetic programming and cultural programming and, a lot of what you're told is just not true. And it behooves the individual to be skeptical and to question that and to compare and contrast ideas. And it doesn't necessarily have to be so kinetic as I've described, smashing ideas together. Because to be honest, um, you know, I've damaged or destroyed a lot of friendships because of my, let's call it, propensity for intense argumentation or intense debate. Because I... I have not in the past had the tendency to be subtle or tactful or, you know, strategic in the way that I disagree with somebody. And I'm still not very much that way, but I do try to, if I'm not prepared to, like, if if it's not important, I will probably now keep my mouth shut more often than not. And if I open my mouth, I tend to say something and it's going to be what I think and should say in the moment but then I'm going to maybe stop and watch what happens and then think about whether or not I'm prepared to continue. I'm not going to be disingenuous and, you know, but I'm not going to maybe throw another brick at the wall. If I think that like it's going to cost me a, you know, a person in my life because um, it, it doesn't work out that great when you, you like, for example, you have a friend for 10 years and then you have one disagreement and, and then you don't have that friend anymore. And you had all these discussions and all these things. And it's like, well, you know, like, Maybe, uh, maybe I should have saved that. Fuck you. <laughs> so um, in, in that sense, the logo centrifugal is a large hadron collider of ideas. And you know, there's, the, there's, there's stuff inside of it and, and you spin it and it separates and you can get to the plasma of excellence. <laughs> great. But I mean, in the same sense that it's, it's a hadron collider of ideas, our personalities, our ideas of friendship. Um, these are also ideas which are quite often subjected to the, to the maelstrom of, 
of collision um where yeah uh <laughs> where, and i guess that's that's also where i mean on the one hand we're exploring ideas and we end up and and in that mode nothing is is off limits you can criticize you can smash things together but on the other hand you when you're in that mode you're not being compassionate and i think both of us are are exploring that more now than what we were a decade ago um where i know for me the idea of safety seemed stupid um a while ago just i mean why would you want to be safe you need to be vulnerable you need to be risking things um but my mind has been changed on that where there's a where stability facilitates growth i mean if everything is always under question it's it's very difficult to to choose a direction and take a step and the next step and all the next steps after that and in the faith that this is going to work um when you're yeah you're constantly trying to stand outside yourself <laughs> oh. you know this ties into something that I've been doing a lot of thinking about, which is the power of story and narrative. And mm -hmm. I tell people that when you wake up to the effects that the narrative of the day and the stories that you've been told have on your life and on the world around you, I mean, they that control the story control the future essentially because you you shape the direction in which a person or a society is is heading by telling them the story convincing them of the story that they're living in and this kind of ties into the marketability too if you mm -hmm. have a strange yeah like if you're if you're nikola tesla for example um you don't have that ability to market and that's why thomas edison was able to you know, Thomas Edison was a knucklehead in a lot of ways, but he was persistent and he knew how to manipulate the media. And that's why in a lot of their fights, Thomas Edison came out on top because uh, Tesla was just like, well, it should be self-evident to everybody that this is superior because it clearly is. But Thomas Edison was yes. able to manipulate narrative to say, well, but no, mine's better. And I, I'll convince you of that rather than, you know, like being a, a representative of what's true. And I find that there's a lot of levels to what I do and, and what I present to the people. And one of the things I hold dear is I have to be communicating truth and I have to be genuine, but there's, there's nuance to that. Like, let's say that I'm weaving a narrative. Maybe I'm playing the narrative game. I do do that sometimes. Well, I want the core of that story to be the truth and to be genuinely what I believe, but there are ways of, getting past mental defenses or to be frank, manipulating the way that people view what you're saying and that connects to their frame that they're already living in and just sort of subtly nudges them little bit by little bit until they're suddenly turned 90 degrees and they're looking at your perspective because you used their own sort of processes against them. And that's what happens in the media. And that's what, that's the timeless stories, whether it's the Bible or whether it's the, you know, the Aesop's fables or the brothers grim fairy tales is, Mm -hmm. They connect things that are common to almost all of us. And then they 
build from there in a direction that seems logical based upon the fact that they've already connected to the thing that you have inside of you that you hold dear. And so when I'm, when I'm trying to make a shift in somebody's mentality, um, you know, I might use some of these tools to try to get the one specific truth I'm trying to push forward um, into their mind and, and they're going to have to deal with the ramifications. But the way I've looked at it is that they're already dealing with these narratives that are totally based on the idea that somebody is out there to manipulate your beliefs in a way that's going to behoove them and not you. The, you know, like the, the media does not have your best interests at heart. The, you know, like Wall Street does not have your best interests at heart. Washington, D.C., these centers of power, almost all the people there uh, don't have your best interests at heart and have been corrupted by playing this game for so long. Um, and then the final thing maybe I'll say in this, in this uh, spiel is that, and, and I would encourage maybe people to think about this who do have an argumentative or contrarian streak is I cannot not engage in that argument, but I can do it in here. So I still have to smash the pieces together, but I don't have to do it with you. Like I could take your idea and then the part of me goes, I don't think so. That's, mm, but you know, I might go, mm, well. and then I'm, you know, I move on in the conversation, but in here it's like, well, I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be figuring this out later. And I, I have found that that is an invaluable tool for <laughs> learning how to maintain relationships with people. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of where I landed with that. And look, we're we're maybe approaching the time we sort of set aside to mm-hmm. to to yep. wrap this up. And like I said, I want to definitely respect your time. So let me frame this a little bit and then kick it back to you and kind of ask you to to share what you think would be most useful with the people who are listening. You know, we kind of and this. To be honest, this has been a very fun and exploratory conversation, and I'd like to do this again with you, um, either on the podcast or just on a personal basis. I, I find conversation with you compelling, but we we talked about how awesome I am initially, and that's that's a great tone to set. And then we we kind of went into some of the Jungian um, musings on on independent thinkers and uh, those who stand outside of the sort of central cultural node and and it, it seems to me that we we found very little points of disagreement in the ways that we you know sort of perceive the value of of uh being weird and and maybe there's some quibbling there on on some of the dangers or like the the degree, degree to which that can be destructive as well as as beneficial to a society depending on the you know the the bent of the contrarian we'll say but i think that like i've had conversations with people who are very much just right down the center of the standard behaviors you know just maybe they're like five foot ten they got dirty blonde hair you know they got brown eyes they're not muscular they're not skinny they're just kind of you know, they have a plain life with a plain wife and a plain house with a plain car and a plain job. And initially, a lot of these people find me very um, distracting or distasteful or, or sort of, you, you know, that like we talked about, that sort of fear response. But 
if uh, I'm persistent, uh, I, I would have, I would have, I would have risked the word antagonistic, perhaps. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe. So, I, so I want, to, let me just wrap up that point. And then, yeah, it's just that if you like, if you're a contrarian or you're a weirdo and you're persistent and you show a genuine interest, like I know I'm, I, and especially if you say I know I'm a weird dude, I know this is not but I still want to connect with you. Most, most of the time people will say, okay, sure. You know, you're showing a genuine interest. I'll maybe do the same. And I would just say that as, as a contrarian, as one of those antagonistic people, um, if you can, if you can sort of wrap your head around the idea that if you're persistent and you really show a genuine interest in connecting and then you can really get in there with some of the ideas that you find valuable and maybe that are missing from a lot of these people's lives and just just stay at it just stay at it just stay at it because i i don't you know i don't have the social desire to like i'm just going to keep bugging you until you until you like sincerely tell me go away and never talk to me again or you consent to have a conversation with me and so uh, there's something to be gleaned from that and i guess i to to just kind of kick it back to you and, mm -hmm. and give the opportunity to coming with the last word and, and you know some some helpful stuff for the people listening is just given all that stuff and all the things we talked about what would you you know we've had our conversation but people listen to this and let's imagine whoever it is in your head that's sitting in front of you whatever whoever he she is what they look like they say you know jj i can't say your name properly number one and, and, and so i'm just I'm just going to call you JJ. But number two, I really like some of the things that you said, and it made me consider things in a way that I haven't necessarily considered them before. And I would like to be able to do that on a more consistent basis and, and maybe lean towards that being my, if not initial response, something that I jump to quickly. Um, what might you offer up to that person by way of advice that they could begin to integrate maybe some of the ideas that they're not comfortable with or some of the thinkers who are presenting those ideas in a way that would um, allow them to make better connections and to, and to be able to see mm -hmm. themselves a little more clearly. Great. Um, truth is always a little bit blasphemous. If it's not a little bit blasphemous, it's not truth. Truth and true are not the same word. True is true or false. Truth is an experience that you follow. It's what happens when you find information which is useful, well contextualized, and yet a little bit blasphemous. And it's, it's chasing that little bit blasphemous, which is where we find value, which is where we can grow our cultures and our societies and, God willing, our, our individual personal power. Um, yeah. Thank you, Logos. I like that, man. That's... that's that's a pretty profound thought to to end it on. I think that's a good place to end it on. That's gonna 
It's going to cause those who are actually listening to what you just said to really think about things. Um, and you know, this, this hasn't been one of my longest podcasts by any means, but I found this to be a very useful and very, um, thought provoking and information dense conversation. And I, I really want to thank you for, you know, I know it's, um, it's an ungodly hour there where you're at you stayed up and made the sacrifice to do this with me. And I really appreciate you taking the time and doing that to, to offer some of your thoughts and perspectives both to me and to the listeners, because um, I think it's, it's going to be good for me and for my listeners. And and that's what I'm trying to do here. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Logos. Um, Yeah. Thanks, Chance. It's, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a while and I, I find this a, an excellent excuse to do so. So thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I'd enjoy future conversations, whether it's on the podcast mm. or not either way. Um, yeah. So look, um, why don't you tell the people where they can find you, you know, on social media or anything else like that. And if you'd like to say hello to anybody or, or, uh, you know, this would be a great time to do that. Okay. Um, mm, great. I'd like to say how's it to my my 3.8 month son, Francois. Um, not that you watch podcasts yet, but I'm pretty happy that you're in the world. Um, so that's that's fantastic. Um, and yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch or hit me up, I am on Twitter. I'm at JJTron, T-R-O-N, um, 83. Um, yeah, so that's me. Cool. Well, and, yeah. and hey, <laughs> I want to shout out to your son too. You know, I love my children in a way that you just don't comprehend until you have one. And, and I'm, I'm so glad wow. for you to experience that. And it's, it's a beautiful thing, man. So Francois, welcome to the mm. world, buddy. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Great stuff. Well, look, if you're I'm good, man. Great stuff. Thanks. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, as a, I'm assuming we've, we've wrapped up and closed off. Um, so just we a couple of notes. We haven't, we haven't stopped recording yet. So now they're going to. No, 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 no. Uh, this is not, not to, not to suggest that you've stopped recording at all. Um, sure. just the, that I'm, I'm now I feel like I'm talking to you personally as, as, as a kind of, uh, it's kind of like you know the moment where um us as a as an entity like now where we we can give ourselves permission as a conversation and suppose like to pick our nose and just scratch our butt before we stand up kind of thing um as we're connected um i'd if we, if we were gonna gonna have another chat at some point um I'd quite like to talk about the way that having kids has changed me and changed my perspective. And I'd love to, to thrash that out with you because I mean, from, I mean, just, just quickly to touch on it, you, I find that I'm staggered, not so much. I mean, before, I used to ask myself, so what's the meaning of life? And that was like one of those deep questions where you can really just get into the, the experience of, of exploring it. Um, but now having had a child, um, having, having a son, it, it, 
I mean, I am staggered by the mystery of what life is. <laughs> I mean, that as a question, like just never mind what's the meaning of life, just what is life? Um, and the, uh, yeah, it, it's, I, that, that would be something I'd love to chat to you about some, maybe in a, in a future episode. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a blessing. I, you know, it's, I concur. There's, I could ramble on, but the truth is, you know, I look at my children and right from the, right from the moment, I mean, even before you talk to them in the womb and it's special and things and you feel them moving and wow. running to me, but then you see them. And for me, just instantly, instantly, the, the miracle and the profundity of the experience of watching your child being born and then you hold the child and, and I cut the umbilical cord on all three of my children and Whoa. hold this thing and you go, you t- I can't, you, I, <sighs> yes. I love you, I love you, and I'll, you know, and then, and then you think, you think you never, you couldn't, you couldn't love them any more than you do right when they're born, but then every mm-hmm. instant more down the road, with very few exceptions, you love them more <laughs> always, and it's, it's, it's yeah. unbelievable, and you know, I have a very special connection with my wife, and, and she's, she's my greatest treasure, and part of the reason that she is that for me is because she has gifted me with my children, and we made them half and half of each of us, and then they come out. Mm something entirely their own and it's just it's unbelievable but before before i get wrapped up in that because i'm very passionate about family and 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 uh, i'm gonna cut myself off and um look let's let's uh let's save that for another time yeah yeah no definitely (laughs) um this has been the logos and trivial podcast Mm. i've been chance lunsford he's been jean-jacques durand and we are out of here we here at the Logocentrifugal Podcast work hard to bring you the highest quality audio, the best editing, and the most professionalism of any podcast on the market. Either that or we do the exact opposite. Either way, consider supporting the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can support the podcast by supporting the podcast. There's a link somewhere, and I encourage you to click the link to support the podcast professionally. 